Father, we pray that you would plant your word into our hearts and change our lives. We ask, oh Lord, that you really would make us a praying people, all of us. That we would not just learn about prayer, but we'd become the kind of prayer warriors, intercessors, Lord, that you really want for each one of us. So we ask you to give us a teaching ministry now of the Spirit of God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what people think is important is revealed by their actions. Whatever someone thinks is important, if you just kind of could follow their life for a while, you'd be able to determine what it really is by what they do, by their actions. You know, Jesus obviously thought prayer was important because when we read the Gospels, we find him doing it over and over and over again. <clears throat> but do you know there is a, there's one particular characteristic about prayer that Jesus thought <clears throat> was most important? Because Jesus teaches just two parables on prayer, and both parables... He makes the same point. Now think about it. If, if you're going to teach a couple parables about prayer, you'd probably teach some important point A on prayer, important point B on prayer, but Jesus teaches the same point in both of these parables because to him, this is the most important characteristic of prayer. What is it? Jesus teaches that persistence in prayer is the key to getting your prayers answered. Let's look at the first parable, Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 8. It says, and he said to them, now this is Jesus speaking, he's going to tell this parable. Suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now Jesus goes on to make a point he wants to make from his parable, Luke 11, 9 and 10. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. So Jesus says, like, you start off, you're asking and then you're seeking and then you become even, you know, kind of a sense of abandonment comes upon you because there's a closed door and you start banging. There's a sense you've got to get this answer. Here's Jesus' point. Persevere in prayer until you get the answer. Do not quit until you get the answer. In fact, his point here in his parables, if persistence works with a neighbor who isn't inclined to get up and help you in a time of need, how much more will persistence work with God who is inclined to help you with your need? 
And then he goes on to point out persistence also works because God is good, and he'll answer. Verse 11 through 13, he goes on to say, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he says, if you wouldn't give bad gifts to your children when they ask you for something, how much more will God, who is good, give good gifts to his children when they ask, and the ultimate good gift being the Holy Spirit? So Jesus tells that parable about the persistence in prayer, how that is key to getting God to answer your prayers is to persist, persevere, don't quit. Keep on asking, seeking, knocking until you get it. All right, now we go to Luke 18. Jesus tells another parable on prayer. Verse 1. Now he's telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So what is the point of his parable? He tells us before he tells us the parable. He tells us the point of the parable in the first verse. Let me read it again. He was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Point is to persevere in prayer, persist in prayer, don't give up, don't lose heart, don't quit. So basically when we pray and we don't see any sign of an answer, we all know where it's like. We all, it's easy to begin to feel discouraged and think, what's the use? Why should I keep praying this? I'm not getting any answer. And Jesus would say to that, pray on. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. You'll get the answer. Then he tells the parable. Verse 2 through 5. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him. She kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection for my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I'll give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. So once again, Jesus shows that perseverance, persistence will work with those who are unwilling and unmotivated to help you, how much more will persistence work with God who is willing and motivated to help you? By the way, the widow is the ultimate example of helplessness. She has no money to buy off the judge, and she has no husband, no protector to bring pressure upon the judge. All she has is two things. She's armed with being right, and she's armed with being persistent. Now Jesus makes his point about the parable, verse 6 through 8. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God, who's the righteous judge, now shall not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, and there's pain, I think, in this when Jesus says this. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
Well, God who is good, will he not bring about justice speedily? And Jesus' point is basically yes. It may not seem speedily to us at the moment, but the time comes, when the time comes that we can see our whole life, we will see that he brought about the answer at just the right time. Once again, Jesus teaches the importance of persistence in prayer. But again, I think there's pain in the last verse here when he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When I come again, will there still be people believing and persisting in prayer? Or will they all have given up? I think that comes out of a heart of seeing so many people give up already. Persistence in prayer is evidence of faith. Unbelief quits. Faith won't quit. Now, I want to go to a story. <clears throat> I think one of the interesting encounters that Jesus has that when you read it, when you first read it, it just is kind of unsettling how Jesus behaves. But after you study it, you see the brilliance of Jesus and what he did. Let me read you the story. In Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for he, she is shouting out after us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Now, how many of you think that Jesus seems like a little bit rude here? Well, let's go and dive in a little deeper on what's happening here. And I think we're going to see that he wasn't rude. He was brilliant. Remember, Jesus is the master teacher. He is an expert in using what is called deliberately induced frustration <laughs> in the lives of his disciples and his hearers. Remember what he did with his disciples. He tells them to feed the 5,000 and they have no food. He tells them to cast out a demon. He knows they're not able to do it yet. He tells him to get into a boat and go out when he knows the storm is coming. Deliberately induced frustration in the hands of a master teacher is a powerful learning tool. 
This encounter is a test. It is a test both for the disciples and for this Canaanite woman. And we're going to see in a moment who aces the test and who gets an incomplete. Jesus goes for some rest with his disciples far north in an area, the area of Tyre and Sidon, two Phoenician cities on the Mediterranean coast up above where the Israelites live. And you really need to know for the sake of this story that the Israelites despised those people. They despised them. The point here is that this woman is from that region of despised people. She would have been immediately regarded by the disciples as a member of the most spiritually degraded people they knew. But she comes to Jesus, we see in verse 22, with this traditional cry of a beggar, have mercy on me. She humbles herself. She calls him Lord repeatedly. She calls him the son of David. So she knows something about Judaism. And she is deeply respectful. But it says in verse 23 that Jesus does not say a word to her after her first begging for mercy. I mean, this woman's daughter is suffering terribly. And Jesus acts like he doesn't hear her. He responds with silence. He responds in what looks like indifference and maybe even rejection. What I want you to notice here is that the gospel writer here, Matthew, doesn't try to hide this. In fact, he deliberately draws the reader's attention to it, I think because Matthew knows what we don't know yet in the story. He knows how the story will end. He knows it is a test. Now, the woman at this point, she could just walk away. She could decide, you know, in the midst of Jesus' silence, you know, it's just not worth it for me to take any more of this, what seems like indifference and rejection. I think the question that probably is in her mind is, how much am I willing to continue to cry out to what seems like an indifferent response? This is part one of her exam. Part one is, will she keep crying out to the Lord even though he seems uninterested in answering her cry? By the way, any of you ever felt like that in some of your prayers? Now, we're going to leave her for just a second, and we're going to look at the disciples because Jesus is also giving them a little test. They're not surprised. They are not surprised that Jesus doesn't talk with this woman because no rabbi that they knew in their day would have talked to her. The disciples are not surprised by this. Jesus deliberately ignores this woman, but Jesus is watching to see what the disciples will do. I mean, do they understand his heart for everyone, including Gentiles, including women, including this woman? Do they understand? Have they learned that yet? Their response comes in verse 21. 
And they're quite confident that their words are going to be met with Jesus' approval because what they say is this to Jesus. They say, send her away. She keeps crying out after us, which is a little grandiose, I think. But this is a little reminiscent of another story in the Gospels where the children were trying to come to Jesus. Remember that? Remember the disciples' response to the children trying to come to Jesus? His response was they re disciples rebuked the children. Jesus' response was he rebuked the disciples. Well, the woman comes up. The disciples say she's bothering us. Send her away. Now, Jesus says, by the way, Jesus is still facing the disciples saying these things. He hadn't yet turned to the woman. Jesus says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, why does he say that? In other places, he makes it quite clear that he's come for the whole world. He makes it quite clear. He's, he makes it quite clear he's not willing to any perish. So why does he say here the lost sheep of Israel? You know, Pastor John Ortberg points out that a good teacher doesn't just lecture. They know that experience is a much more powerful teacher than just presentation. So Jesus doesn't just give his disciples a lecture at this point on negative attitudes. He already tried that after the disciples tried to shoo away the children. And the lecture method is not working very good with the disciples. The disciples needed some remedial help. So Jesus faces them and appears to be in agreement with them. Basically, yeah, I, I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. We have no time for this second-class Gentile riff-raff woman. I'll send her away. But notice he doesn't send her away. Notice that. He does not send her away. He doesn't do what they asked him to do. He appears to agree with them. Then he waits to see what their response will be. Does anyone, anyone care for this woman? Anyone? No, they all shake their heads. Send her away. Now, simultaneously, the woman is going through part two of her test. She hears what Jesus is saying. Now, I just want you to picture this scene here. Jesus is facing his disciples, and she hears his words. In effect, she's hearing, you're an outsider. I'm the son of David. I have no time for you. You're not my mission. I didn't come for you. Now, the question here for the woman in her test is this. Is her concern for her child so deep in her confidence in Jesus' power and compassion so strong that she's going to persevere and keep crying out even when he seems unwilling. But I think in her mind, she can still, she hears her daughter scream. And where else is she going to go? Who else can help her? So she kneels to the ground in this posture of humility and desperation and reverence, and she just cries out, Lord, help me. The disciples are watching all this. 
Now, I think, again, at this point, I think some tension is starting to build in the disciples. Some tension. Their tradition tells them that this woman should be shunned, she should be ignored, she should be turned away. But yet, I think at this point, something's start, starting to stir in them. This is the cry of a desperate mother, of a tormented daughter, who is in spiritual agony and physical agony. And what is the right thing to do here? See, I think right here, this encounter is exposing some prejudices and some junk that is so deeply embedded in the disciples that it's not going to get all rooted out at once. It's going to take some time. But I think there's a stirring going on at this point. A seed is being planted. And that seed's going to grow over time, but they're not there yet. And they say nothing in defense of this woman's desperate plea. So Jesus speaks again. He's still facing his disciples, and he's still testing. He says this in verse 26. He answered. He answered. Who's the answer? He answered the disciples. He answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, the meaning of this statement is very clear. Who are the children? That's the Israelites. Who are the dogs? That's the Gentiles. That's this woman. Dogs in the Middle East were despised animals. So Jesus now is forcing the disciples to face themselves. You want me to get rid of this woman? Okay. You listen to her daughter's screams. Then he gives voice to their theology. He is giving voice to what is inside of them. He gives voice to their theology. You know, it's one thing to have contempt for somebody behind their back. It's another thing to hear the ugliness of your thoughts and feelings exposed out loud before a real human being. Will any of them speak up for this human being? Any of them? No, not one. Not today. That's the end of their test. There will be other tests for the disciples in the days to come, and they'll do better. But they're still learning today. Today they fail the test. By the way, I think some of us are in exams right now. We're in a test. Jesus might be giving many of you the same test. I will call this the love test. Is there somebody in your life that you're having a hard time offering authentic Christ-like love to? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse. Or maybe like the disciples here, it involves a whole group of people that you got a problem with. This love test goes on all the time, I think, in our world. So how are you doing on that test? Well, let's get back to the woman, because her test isn't over. When Jesus gave voice to the prejudice, prejudices by, by referring to this woman as a dog, it's interesting that he actually softens the word a little bit for the woman. There are actually two words that are used for dogs in Greek, Koine Greek. Jesus uses the diminutive one. Jesus uses the word for a little dog or puppy. 
This is still the hardest part of the test, I believe, for the woman. The question is, will she run away? Because she could. She could decide that, look, this isn't worth the effort and just give up. Or she could insult him back. Where do you get off? Who do you think you are? Or is her love for her daughter so intense and her trust in Jesus' power so deep and her faith in Jesus' compassion so strong and her commitment to Jesus as Lord so unwavering that she's not going to give up, she's going to keep on asking. I want you to understand there's a tremendous amount of faith being exhibited here. Her response is really remarkable. Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord. She calls him Lord again for the third time. He's still her Lord. Even though he appears not to be inclined to help her, he's still her Lord and she's still asking. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dog's feet on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So now she picks up, and you really see this in the Greek, you don't see this in English so much, but she picks up on the diminutive word for dog, and she uses the diminutive word for crumbs. It's like she's saying, yes, Lord, but even the little puppies get the little crumbets from the master's table. And she comes back at Jesus with, I think, some grace and some grit and even some wit. I mean, there's almost an element of a little playfulness and a little bit of back and forth. It's like, all right, Lord, you're still my Lord. You're my master. Go ahead. But by all means, feed the kids. But I bet, I bet you got a crumb even for me. I bet you do. I know you. She just won't give up. She just won't quit. We might call this test the endurance test. The disciples face the love test. She faces the endurance test. And by the way, I think some of you are right there in that test today. Some of you online, you're in that endurance test. There's something going on in your life, and and you just don't know if you're ever going to find relief for this. And you have been praying and begging, and you don't understand why God seems to not respond or listen. He seems silent. He seems indifferent. Some of you might even say, he seems like he's against me in this thing I'm praying about. I believe this is the hardest test. When you have cried out to the Lord over and over and over, and he doesn't answer, he seems silent, he appears to be indifferent, what will you do? Some of you are facing the endurance test right now. The question is, is will you keep going? Will you keep asking? Will you keep praying? Will you keep believing? Will you still say, my Lord, you're still my Lord. I mean, I don't get it, but you're still my Lord. I don't understand all this, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep going with grace and grit and faith. And I'm going to keep living in hope of one day you're going to set everything right. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to keep believing that you're good. And you got a good answer. Do you remember what happened in Genesis chapter 32 where Jacob meets a man at Jabbok by the stream? He realizes afterward that it was God. He says, I met God face to face and lived. Remember the story? 
He met this man, and he wrestled with him all night, it says. And when it was almost day, the man says, I have to leave. But Jacob wouldn't let him go. So the man reached out and touched his hip and said, let me go. And he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And when the man saw that Jacob would not quit, he blessed him, and then he gave him a new name. Remember that name? Israel. He says, because you have wrestled with God and with man and have prevailed. That's what Israel means, to wrestle with and prevail. But why does God wrestle with Jacob? And why does he wrestle with him all night long? Obviously, God could have pinned him pretty quick, don't you think? Why does he just give him the blessing? Why does he go through all that? See, I think it has something to do with the fact that God prizes a kind of greatness in the human spirit that will not give up. That is one of the things that God wants in his children. He just wants that perseverance and persistence, that sense that we will endure and, and wrestle and we refuse to quit until we get the answer. Like the widow wouldn't give up until the judge, the unjust judge, gave her the answer. Like the neighbor who keeps pounding on the door until eventually he gets the answer. There's something about a person who continues to cry out to the Lord and will not give up that God just cannot resist. God loves it. He loves it. This woman in Matthew 15, do you know what her name was? I don't know, but I, I would suggest that her name was Israel. Because she prevailed. She wrestled with God and prevailed. And by the way, and the disciples are watching all this with open mouths. They've never seen anyone approach Jesus with this kind of boldness and faith and perseverance. When this woman first appeared, I think they thought they were watching their spiritual, you know, inferior person here. The bottom of the spiritual barrel, that's what they thought. And now it turns out that she is way ahead of them in faith, way ahead. See, she understood something about the power of crying out to the Lord and not giving up. She understood something about the power of persistence. Now, finally, I think Jesus... This is when Jesus turns to the woman. Face is the woman. The mask comes off. The teaching time is over. Test is over. It's time for the grades to be given out. And Jesus says, oh, woman. I mean, the Greek, in the Greek, there's a sound before woman. It's kind of like when you're really full and you just go, oh. And I think Jesus' heart is full. I think maybe his eyes are full too. And he just says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Your prayers are answered. Your daughter is healed. What a spirit there is in you. You wrestled with God and you prevailed. She aced the test. Oh, may we all be like that woman. Let's stand for prayer as we close here. Just close your eyes if you would.
many of you, there's something you have, you've, you've persisted in prayer in the past, but you quit on it. And this is a time to pick it back up. Pick it back. And some of you have just grown weary in what you've been praying about, thinking, Lord, did you even hear? Do you even care? It's time to keep on knocking. And just right, even just under your breath, whisper to him one more time. One more time, Lord, we're, asking, we're bringing all these things again to you, Lord. Because our faith in you is strong. Our confidence in your compassion, Lord, is strong. We believe, Lord, that you will fulfill your word, that you will keep your promises. And we believe you again. Now, all these prayers that are coming up before you right now, Father, we believe in you again. We're wrestling with you, Lord. And just like Jacob, Lord, we're saying, we won't let go until you bless us. So we commit all these to you, Lord. And we just, I just want to give you thanks, Lord, because you are faithful. And you will come through. And you will make things right. And one day we will find out that you answered speedily. You answered at just the right time and just the right way. And it was the best time and the best way. So, Lord, we lift it up to you with confidence and gratefulness. And we pray, Lord, you would make us like that widow that would not stop and that neighbor that would not stop knocking. And we'd be persistent in our prayers and we'd see more and more of the power of the kingdom than any of us have ever seen in the days to come. Make us a persistent praying people as a church and in, in, corporately and individually. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name.